Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Three farmers were gathering daily during a horrible drought. The men were down on their knees praying that the skies would open up and pour forth rain. The heavens were silent, however, and the petitioners were becoming discouraged. Nonetheless, they continued to pray every morning. One morning, a stranger walked by, and he asked the men what they were doing, and they answered, Well, we're praying for rain. The stranger looked at each of them and shook his head and said, No, I don't think you are. The first farmer says, Well, we're down on our knees. We're pleading for rain. Look around. See the drought. We haven't had rain in, in more than a year. The, tranger, the stranger looked at them again, and, and he looked at their efforts. He said, You know, it's, it's just not going to work. And the second farmer said, well, we need rain. We aren't asking only for ourselves, but for our families and our livestock. And the stranger still wasn't impressed. You're wasting your time, he said. The third farmer, in anger, responded, well, what would you do if you were in our shoes? You really want to know, the stranger asked. Yes, we really want to know. How would you pray? The future of our farmlands is at stake. And the stranger said, well, I would have brought an umbrella. Perhaps the farmer's prayers were not as bold as they could have been. And as a follower of Jesus, we are called, called to live boldly for Jesus. However, there is confusion as to what it means to live boldly for Jesus. God does not need us to defend him, but instead he invites us to proclaim him. Gentleness and boldness are two sides of the same coin when it comes to a trustworthy Christian witness. Too often, gentleness is viewed as, as mild and powerless, but it's not. And boldness is often lived out with more dominance and aggression than it is with actual substance. Boldness is our focus this week, and next week we'll examine the idea of gentleness in our faith. But here's what I want you to know. Bold and trustworthy voices are those who are four things, approved by God, those who take seriously the gospel entrusted to them, those who seek to please God alone, and those who let God test their hearts. Let's go ahead and read 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 6. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or from impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Now that's our text for today. And Paul is recounting to the Thessalonian church his own boldness in sharing the gospel with them. He does so to remind them of the authenticity of the gospel, but also of the call that they have to live boldly for the Christian faith. Remember, Paul has already praised the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 6 for becoming imitators of us and the Lord. He knows they too are living boldly for Jesus, but he wants them to continue to do so and to not forget how to live boldly for the gospel. 
and the idea of being bold is one that is easily confused in our culture. So let's take a little bit of time to talk about what it means to be bold. Bold is simply defined by Merriam defined by Merriam Webster as one being fearless before danger or showing or requiring a fearless or daring spirit. And another way to define bold is well to stand out, to be noticed. You might think of bold-faced type when you're typing on your phone and you want to bold a word to be bold, to stand out. Now, the Bible calls God's people to be bold. There's no mistaking it. All through God's word, there is a call to live boldly for him. Proverbs 28.1 tells us this, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Ephesians 3.12 says, In whom, meaning Jesus, in Jesus we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says this, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And Acts 28.30-31 says this, Paul lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That last verse from the book of Acts uh, describes Paul waiting under house arrest in Rome before his trial before Caesar. And I think he had a lot of reasons to be afraid, but we are told that he preached in all boldness. And without hindrance, even under house arrest. So what does it mean to be bold? Well, let's start with what boldness is not. And this is important because ungodly boldness can be very abrasive and ugly. So we want to avoid that. So boldness is not simply a big noise or show. It, boldness can be uh, a big noise or show, but it's not only a big noise or show. Sometimes we can confuse the loudest noise in the room with the most important and trustworthy voice in the room. And we often value the dramatic and, pr and impressive over the trustworthy. We can be prone to those who tickle our ears. Beware of the promise, promises and messages that are being be aware of the promises and messages that are more concerned about pleasing you than helping you. Another quality of boldness, or that is not of boldness, I should say, what it's not, is it's not forceful. Boldness is not about making demands, especially demands that are not necessary. Uh, and, and, and forcefulness and making demands, they're not necessarily boldness, but they can quickly become bullying. So be careful of forcefulness and confusing forcefulness with boldness. We are in much danger when we live with, a, with worldly boldness instead of godly boldness. Here's a nice quote from Francis of Assisi. Let us take care that we do not lose the kingdom of heaven for any temporal interest, and that we never despise those who live otherwise than we do. So don't confuse boldness with maybe frustration with others or dramatic action against others. Godly boldness, <clears throat> on the other hand, is much different. We find the source of Paul's boldness in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. And it reads like this, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. 
And in that verse, I, we find four parameters for living a bold and godly faith in Jesus. So I want to take those four parameters and take a few minutes and just bring them to your attention and try to expand on them a little bit. The first one is, if you want to have a bold and trustworthy faith, you need to be someone, those who are approved by God. Okay, that's the quality you're looking for, approved by God. And this is about calling and authority when it comes to uh, a person following God. It's, it's about diligence to own up to that calling that God puts upon us. Second Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Every person is called by God. Each one of us are called to be a part of his kingdom and then called to serve his kingdom. A bold faith stands on that calling as a foundation. Do not ever sell your calling short. Christian, know that each of you, each Christian, you are all ministers of the gospel. Here at Valley View, friends, we believe in a priesthood of all believers, that each person who is a Christian has a calling to serve mightily the kingdom of heaven. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a royal priesthood, each and every Christian. We all have a calling to be a part of that. There's a story about calling from Brandon A. Bradley. He writes these words, I am a surgical assistant, the surgeon's right-hand man. At one point in my career, I lost my passion. I wanted a job of spiritual significance, and I prayed for that. Imagine my shock when God led me to a position in plastic surgery. Why would God want me to be in a hotbed of vanity? I wondered. During my quiet times, the Lord assured me that this was part of his plan and that I should wait for his direction, so I obeyed, continuing to pray that the Lord would use me in this job. The first directive when I started my new, new position was, gather and pray in my name. There were only a few Christians who worked in the plastic surgery department, but I started with them. I got going, and I, I would go up to the Christians, and I'd said, I'm going to start praying for our workplace each Monday, 15 minutes before we clock in. That's what I would tell them. I'm in the operating room number two, and I hope you'll join with me. We met each week, praying for our work, our colleagues, and our patients. And soon we were praying boldly for opportunities to witness. By the end of that year, God had answered many prayers, which included ten friends who accepted Christ as their Savior. God has given me a purpose far beyond patient care. He expanded my circle of influence by transferring me to many, to the main surgery department, where I now rotate through all four departments on the hospital campus. I have started several prayer groups throughout the hospital. Each group focuses on inviting the Holy Spirit to move in their department. We encourage each other in Christ to pray for opportunities to witness, to seek God's will, and to ask Christ to be glorified in our work. Since I realized that I could advance the kingdom of God through praying at work, I have found renewed passion for my job as well as for opportunities for ministry that it provides. Brandon, as he writes about being that surgical assistant, he found ministry in his calling. Even though his calling wasn't necessarily being a pastor or a missionary, he found ministry because he acknowledged the power in God's calling and approval of what he was doing. Another story. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria grew tired of court life. 
and the pressures of being a monarch. He made an application to the prior Richard at the local monastery, asking to be accepted as a contemplative monk and to spend the rest of his life in the monastery. Your Majesty, said Prior Richard, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? And it will be hard because you've been a king. I understand, said Henry. The rest of my life I'll be obedient to you as Christ leads you. Then I will tell you what to do, said Prior Richard. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. When King Henry died, a statement was written. The king learned to rule by being obedient. When we tire of our roles and responsibility, it helps to remember that God has planted us in a certain place and told us to be a good account, a good accountant or a good teacher, a good mother or father. Christ expects us to be faithful where he puts us, and He, when he returns, we will rule together. I love that line, serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. Realize that you are called by God and that calling is fuel for a bold work of ministry. The second point, for a bold uh, and, and powerful, trustworthy witness is those who, if you want to have that sort of witness, you need to be one of those who take seriously the gospel. The gospel that's entrusted to them. Martin Neomeller, a World War I hero in Germany, as a U-boat captain, was later imprisoned for eight years by Adolf Hitler on charges of treason. From 1937 to 1945, he spent time in prisons and concentration camps, including Dachau. Still, Hitler realized that much opposition would collapse if the influential Martin Neomuller, a leading figure in the German church, could be persuaded to join his cause, so he sent a former friend of Neomuller's to visit him. Seeing Neomuller in his cell, the one-time friend said, Martin, Martin, why are you here? His response, my friend, why are you not here? If you want to have a trustworthy gospel witness, you need to take seriously the gospel that is entrusted to you. I'm not proposing that we must go to prison or, or, or just to take the gospel seriously, but we should be willing to give up much of our personal comfort and freedom for the sake of the gospel. Having the gospel entrusted to you means that you're committed to it and that you are committed to the truth. Our culture likes to claim that it's the author and authority of truth. But we know otherwise. We know that we do not get to write the truth, but we have had the truth entrusted to us in the gospel. And that truth is boldly proclaimed when we live it out. Martin Luther writes of this, a brief and simple uh, eulogy that he pronounced of a pastor of Zwickau, uh, that he did the funeral in 1522. His name was Nicholas Hausmann, and the whole funeral message goes like this. What we preach... He lived. Well, that's powerful. What we preach, he lived. Spurgeon says this, A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. We are entrusted with the gospel and the truth, and we are called to live it out. Are you doing that? Thirdly, 
Those who seek to please God alone. That's an important quality of having a bold and trustworthy witness, to be one who seeks to please God alone. And, and I say perhaps this third point is the longest, and that might be because I feel the pull to please people myself, or maybe because pleasing people instead of God is a tremendous temptation for the Christian today. Here's a quote to chew on. I really cannot give you a formula for success, but I can give you a formula for failure, and it is this, to try to please everyone. Hmm. And then pleasing people can be dangerous. Pleasing the wrong people, wow, it can be really dangerous. It can even lead to sin. Beale, in his commentary on 1 Thessalonians, warns this, saying, Sin occurs when we want to please people so badly that we sometimes do so in wrong and worldly ways. Hugh Latimer once preached before King Henry VIII. Henry was so displeased by the boldness of the sermon that he ordered Latimer to come and preach again the following Sunday and that that sermon would be an apology for the offense that he had given. The next Sunday, after reading his text, Hugh began his sermon this way. Hugh Latimer, do you know before whom you are this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away your life if you offend him. Therefore, take heed that you speakest not a word that may displease. But then, consider well, Hugh, do you not know whence you come, upon whose message you are sent? Even by the great and mighty God, who is all-present, and who beholdeth all thy ways, and who is able to cast your soul into hell. Therefore, take care that you deliver your message faithfully. So what did Hugh do? He preached the same sermon that he had preached the preceding Sunday, the one that offended the king, and he preached it with even more energy than the week before. Beware of trying to please others. So you might ask the question, well, how do we please God? There's a lot of ways to please God, but I propose three to start with. And the first way to please God is to decide to de dedicate yourself to handling his word, the Bible, with integrity. We are tempted to put our wants and our desires into God's word. Instead, we are to be shaped by God's word. Second Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Secondly, I would say, if you want to please God, live out the Great Commission. We talked about calling earlier, and the Great Commission is the calling or commission that has been placed on every Christian. God wants us to do this. You can find it in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And it can be summed up in a few words, just simply this, go and make disciples of all nations. And I'll tell you, if you decide to do that, you will be tempted to deliver a false gospel. And when I say this, I mean you'll be tempted to deliver a gospel that is more comfortable to the listener than the truth might be. People often don't want correction. They don't want to hear that they're in the wrong, and yet... We have to deliver the gospel, the gospel truthfully. You know, medical treatments are rarely what we want. And they're sometimes uh, very uncomfortable. But that uncomfortable process is often what we need. When I was a young boy, I had a little cactus plant in my room. I think my mom uh, thought it was something I could handle. It, it was didn't need a lot of water. I mean, it's a cactus, right? 
but I still managed to either underwater or like really overwater that poor little plant. Um, and okay, like we all know cactuses have spines and prickles and stuff. And I had this bad habit of trying to touch the cactus. It had a few spots on it that you could touch and you could feel the uh, substance of the plant. And for some reason, I liked trying to pet this little cactus. I don't know what was going on in my brain, but that's what I was at as a little boy. I was like nine or ten when this was going on. And I remember getting those spines from the cactus in my finger pretty frequently. And I could, I could pull them out pretty quickly. But on one occasion, I wasn't able to get the spine out of my finger. And I, I tried and I tried and I tried and I didn't have any success. And after a little while, a couple of days, and I'm quietly trying to get this thing on my finger. Oh, gosh, I don't want my parents to know that I, I stuck myself again. That little spot where the spine was was turning a little green. And I thought, oh, that's not a good sign. And uh, my mom looked at it, and she said, well, she thought she could get out the needle. She could get out the spine if she used a little needle to dig at it a little bit. And as a young boy, that sounded like a really bad idea. I do not want you to use a needle to dig this thing out of my finger. That sounds awful. So I kept trying to squeeze and tweeze that little thorn out. Eventually I had to give up and let mom dig it out with the needle. And it wasn't fun, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. It was not the treatment I wanted, but it was the one I needed. And this is the challenge that we face with pleasing the world or pleasing God. The world will want to try to dig out the cactus spines of sin on its own, or even claim that they're not a problem. But God has already performed the radical surgery that's necessary through the cross. Are we willing to deliver that gospel that we have been entrusted with? The third item to talk about today is that if you want to be a bold and trustworthy witness, you need to live out uh, the great commandment. Or if you want to avoid people pleasing, you need to live out the third, uh, this third item, which is the great commandment. Uh, it's there in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. It says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It seems like these commands get trickier and trickier but they haven't changed. Over the years, they just seem to get harder to carry out. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. They've not changed. Never confuse offering affirmation with offering redemption. We have a world that wants to be told that they're okay and accepted. And we have a God that offers a solution to this want, but it's through redemption. Be faithful to that great commandment. Not by just affirming everybody's okay, but by offering redemption and love. Pleasing God over others is a challenge, because peer pressures are in this world. The world screams out its demands at us each day. You hear it in politics. We hear it in race relations. We hear it in climate science. We, we hear the demands of the world in music and in the film industry and even in the career you choose. And, and I would offer this little aside, students. If you're trying to decide what career you want to pursue, understand that that task is full of peer pressure. I think you already know it. But I would challenge you to ask yourself first and foremost, what career would please God? What is God calling you to do with your life? I think sometimes we associate these sorts of questions 
with pastoral ministry or, or missionary work, but God has a plan for each one of us and has a calling for each one of us. But often we start with questions like, well, what do I want to do? And what am I good at? And what makes good money? And what do my parents want me to do? Or my spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend? Or what do people around me think I should do? But you should start with, what would please God? That question's often lower on the list, but it should be the first. If you want to learn how to please God, ask that question when you're looking for a career. But now back to our four big points, right? On how to live with a bold and trustworthy faith. We have spoken about God's approval and calling. We've talked about being entrusted with the gospel. We've talked about pleasing God instead of others. And now comes the last. It's those who let God test their hearts. And this is perhaps the most difficult to describe because it's hard to describe how to let God examine your heart without turning it how to turning it into how to examine our own heart. And here's what I can say. God examines and tests everyone's heart. The question becomes, will we acknowledge his testing and respond to his testing? The Bible is full of scriptures that tell us that God tests our hearts and minds. Jeremiah 17.10 tells us this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Psalm 139.23 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Psalm 26.2, we heard earlier in the worship service today, says, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. And 1 Peter 1 6 or 7, it doesn't necessarily mention the heart, but it mentions the process. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes as though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to let God test our hearts, and that involves letting him examine what might be hidden from others or even from ourselves. It involves testing with an endurance, and as in 1 Peter it mentions, and as other passages echo, testing with hardship like a fire. Are you willing to be tested and refined by God? Because it will lead to a bold and trustworthy faith. Jeff Gorsuch says this, The question to ask at the end of one's life is not so much, what have I accomplished? But instead to ask, whom have I loved and how courageously? We often associate boldness with accomplishment. And the two often go hand in hand. But boldness in the Christian faith is founded on our relationship with God and loving him, of knowing his approval, of being entrusted with his gospel, of pleasing him alone, and letting him test our hearts. Right now, there are a lot of opinions on how to be bold, how to be heard, how to accomplish what you think is best, but we need to go the route that Paul does in a biblical boldness that is unwavering because it's built on uh, not because of what it's built upon, not because of how loud or forceful it is. Let's pray. God, make us bold in our faith. Lord, I do not pray that we would be brash or noisy, but that your church, that each Christian, would be effective in sharing the gospel in the times that we find ourselves in. Lord, let us 
Trust your credentials for our authority. Keep us from trading truth for likability. And perhaps the same can be said of us someday. What we preached, he lived. Help us to live well for you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.